Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the second episode of season two of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Now, in this week's episode, I will be discussing the NFL wildcard and divisional weekend. I will be touching on the NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. I will talk about some NBA news and what the standings are looking like in the association. Then I will shift to the college football championship, and then I will have best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. everyone and welcome in to the second episode of season two of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I thank all of you guys for that listen to us every week or that don't listen to us every week but tune in and definitely tell your friends about it. We're one of the fastest growing sports podcasts in the country and so I want to thank you guys for that. But now let's get into business. So the NFL had their wildcard weekend, the first ever super wildcard weekend, which means instead of the playoff games going four games wildcard, four games on divisional, two on championship weekend, and then a Super Bowl, for the first time ever in NFL history, we had six playoff games happening simultaneously. And not really simultaneously, but on the same weekend. We got three on Saturday. We got three on Sunday. So let's start off with, we're going to talk about the games based on conference. We're going to start off with the AFC. Now, we're going to start off with the Bills and the Colts. This is a very interesting game in terms of stylistic clashes because you looked at quarterbacks, for instance, on opposite ends of, well, basically everything. So Phillip Rivers and Josh Allen could not be more different outside of if it was Phillip Rivers and Lamar Jackson. That's about the only quarterback in the league, or Kyler Murray, or Russell Wilson, that I can see being opposite completely of Phillip Rivers at this stage of Phillip Rivers' career. And that is, you've got Phillip Rivers, man, he's not going to move. He's not. Phillip Rivers is not going to move in the pocket. He's going to stand there. He may shift up a little, shift to the side a little. He does not have a strong arm in the slightest anymore. We've seen that on the Hail Mary. His accuracy is hit or miss. It's a lot of pop passes and really needs a run game. On the other side, for the Bills, you have Josh Allen, big six foot five, six foot six quarterback, cannon of an arm. I believe he has the strongest arm in the fo- in football, even past Patrick Mahomes. Accuracy is greatly improved over the past couple of seasons. He's very mobile because, well, he is the Buffalo Bills run game, and he's probably going to be this week as well. We'll talk about that a little later. But he led all of the Bills players in rushing. Obviously, he led them in passing. And he led the Bills to a victory. Josh Allen looked very composed in this playoff game at home. Philip Rivers put up a fight, though. Oh, I call him Old Man Rivers uh, because he put up a definite fight here. He hit his tight end a lot. I thought the Colts really played well in terms of keeping Josh Allen contained for the most part. Uh, it really did not really break down for Allen on the ground until Brian Dable, who's the offensive coordinator, started to call more designed runs for Josh Allen. So just straight up QB power. I mean, it was just to the point where we it's third and two. We need three yards. Our quarterback is 6'6". Six, six. That's two and a half yards. I mean, it's all over the line of scrimmage if you got to. And so 
it was definitely a great moment for the Bills. Bills Mafia was finally allowed in the stadium at that capacity. I believe they were near quarter capacity, and it sounded like it was full. Those fans were full throat all game. It was the first Bills playoff win since 1995, which is one year before their quarterback, Josh Allen, was born. So a huge moment for the franchise in general. As for Phillip Rivers and the Indianapolis Colts, this Phillip Rivers thing was fun. It's over. Because on on that Hail Mary, he had to launch a football 50 yards which most college quarterbacks, a good majority of high school quarterbacks, and every starting NFL quarterback should be able to do. It died six, seven yards short. I mean, it was a complete duck. It it literally just fell out of the sky right around the 10-yard line. He threw about a 45-yard pass, and he did it with all of his might and muster. It's over. He had a great last game. He can say he didn't go out injured. He can say he didn't have to get beat out the game like Kurt Warner or Brett Favre. He can say he didn't have a five-pick interception, a five-pick game. He can say that, you know, uh, similar to Favre, he didn't throw this horrible interception to lose the game. Nothing. And like Dan Marino got destroyed in his last game. He can just, he can just go. He had a great career. He'll probably get in the Hall of Fame off counting numbers alone. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but hey, he can get in the Hall of Fame on counting numbers alone. And it's time for Philip Rivers to walk away from the game and allow Indianapolis to take advantage of a pretty decent roster, especially on defense and an offensive line. Get them a guy, Carson Wentz, Matt Stafford, Sam Darnold, if he's available. And get them a guy that can... You know, use that offense to the best of its abilities. You got guys like T.Y. Hilton. You saw Michael Pittman really play well. You see they got great tight end play. Phillip, is, it's over. It's time to go home to the family and move on. Speaking of another quarterback that needs to go home to the family, Big Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers were absolutely annihilated by the Cleveland Browns. The game was over. I believe the game started at uh, 7 to say it started at seven, it was over by seven fifteen. It was it was it was done. I mean, it was the, the last three hours and fifteen minutes was for show. The game was over in about fifteen real minutes. It was a wrap. It was I mean fifteen game minutes, which is a which is a quarter. It was over. It was twenty eight zero. In about fifteen real minutes, you had the high snap from Pouncey touchdown uh, Browns because neither Ben nor Connor decided they wanted to fall on until it was too late. You had a bend interception that led to a touchdown. And you had a punt that led to a touchdown. That happened all in about 15 minutes. The game was over. It was a wrap. It was done for. The Steelers looked like a bad TikTok dance. And I'm doing the TikTok reference on purpose because it seems like they love TikTok. Juju did the TikTok dancing on the logos for a long time. But now he's permanently labeled as a Carvette Carvette guy and like... He, I mean, when the Browns beat them, they were doing the Carvet Carvet on on, uh, on IG Live. Cream Hunt was signing merchandise. One of them he signed was Carvet Carvet. Like Juju, that 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 stuck with you now because you're known more right now on TikTok than having big games. He had his first hundred yard receiving game last week since Antonio Brown left the team. To put this in perspective, AB was on the Patriots for a little while. He had that thing, he had that crazy year last year. 
he's been on the Bucks all this year. He's been eligible. And he just got a 100-yard receiving game. It It's not great for Juju at the moment. And now Chase Claypool is going on Twitch Live talking about, oh, yeah, it was a bad loss for us, but LeBron's going to get clapped next week anyway. So, what? You just got destroyed. Like, the final score was much better than that game played. You got absolutely wrecked. And you're on Twitch Live talking about the Browns are going to get clapped next week. So, huh? I mean, it it was already a weird team when Juju was doing the dancing and you had Ben doing his, well, I just want to be loved routine. You got Claypool talking about losing, never heard of her. Mike Tomlin. I mean, the team was flying high. They could do no wrong. And then I predicted they would lose their last five games of the season. One half of football and Phillip Rivers being allergic to prosperity away from losing five in a row. Cleveland, which I thought you were going to lose anyway. I thought if you would have played everybody, you would have lost to Cleveland. Cleveland twice. It's just... It's embarrassing for the Steelers franchise. And I don't know if the culture is... It means, well, okay, I, I know that. I, I know the culture is jacked up. But I don't know who it's jacked up from. I don't know if Mike Tomlin has carte blanche people so much. I mean, you know, his, one of his famous phrases is, I'll tolerate you till I can replace you. Which is pretty much the NFL motto of how they deal with players. I'll tolerate you till I can replace you. But... It's bad. I've been through 68 passes. Congratulations. The problem was four of them went to the wrong team. Now, he did throw four touchdowns in 501 yards, which is still four yards shy of Brady's 505, which is the NFL playoff record. But been through 68 passes. Like I just said about Phillip Rivers. Ben, it's time to go home. It's over. It, it's done. You've thrown a pass of 15 air yards probably three or four times in the past month and a half. Everything's dink and dunk. Everything is right around the line of scrimmage. Everything is, I mean, now it's it's the Big 12 air raid. The Big 12 air raid is not bombs away, bombs away. It's not no risky, no biscuit, a la Bruce Arians. It is, we're treating a three yard slant or a two yard stop pattern as a run. We're treating a, a 10 yard curl as uh, as passes they treat r- pass runs like passes or passes like runs rather where a three yard slant or a five yard curl or a two yard stop route a smoke screen is a run ben it's over i'm sorry it, it it's time for the class of 04 Philip rivers and ben rossberger to join their 04 brother and eli manning in the nfl retirement home for old wash quarterbacks it's over sorry Hey, again, go out on your shield, man. It's not a great way to lose, but go out on your shield. You can say you had 501 yards and four touchdowns in your last game ever. Go out. You're done. I'm sorry. And it's it's honestly the end of an era in Pittsburgh. End of eras aren't pretty. I watched the Patriots dynasty collapse. He collapsed with futility in a home playoff game against the Titans on a wild card weekend. Tom Brady threw a pick six to Logan Ryan, who basically danced his way past Brady into the end zone. A few months later, Tom Brady was packing up his bags and taking his talents to Tampa Bay. 
it's not beautiful when it ends. It hurts every time. But then don't don't be like Joe Montana. What yeah, you can play, but we didn't need to see Joe Montana in Kansas City. We didn't need to see Michael Jordan with the Wizards. We, we, we don't need to see Big Ben playing this last year of this big money contract out because who the hell could turn down $40 million in one season? We don't need to see that, Ben. It's time to go home. As for Cleveland, congratulations. Also, your first playoff win since 1995. 1995 was a crazy goddamn year in football. I mean, you had the Bills, the Browns. I mean, my goodness. Shout out to them. They were winning like crazy. Bill Belichick was the coach of the Browns. The Bills were fresh off of four straight Super Bowl appearances. It was a great time in football for cold teams in the AFC. And then drops happened. But, eh, life. Cleveland, however, congratulations. Like I said a minute ago, good job. Way to beat your big brother, the Steelers. Or, should I say your uncle? Or your dad? I don't know. It's kind of more of a big brother. I think the Ravens are more your big brother. Pittsburgh's like your dad. Anyway. But congratulations on beating Pittsburgh. You punished them from start to finish. You were the better football team. Your prize? You get the Chiefs. That ain't great. But I mean, hey, you beat the Steelers. You beat them, what, twice? Back-to-back weeks? First one doesn't really count. But hey, again, you beat them. You got Odell talking about don't be surprised if they win on Sunday. I mean, you've got Sammy Watkins giving you billboard material. We'll talk about that a little later. But I mean, my goodness, congratulations to the Cleveland Browns on getting their first playoff win since 1995. And finishing off the AFC with the beef that keeps on beefing, the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens. This is no love lost. Like Shannon Sharp said on Undisputed, they've been, this, these franchises have been at each other's throats since the 2000s. Like, this is, but it took a break because the Titans were bad and the Ravens had that weird Joe Flacco period right after the Super Bowl. It took a break. Now it's back, full fledged, and it cannot be any better. It's dripping with hatred. Is dripping with disrespect because both teams want to be physical. So the winner whipped the other one. I mean, I mean, there's no, there's no way around it because both teams want to be physical. The Titans want to shove Derrick Henry down your throat as much as humanly possible, and the Ravens are gonna run the ball for 200 yards. Now whether they get 300s on you, but they're gonna get 200 because they treat runs like passes. <laughs> they, they, Lamar scamper to the outside is eight nine yards pop. Well, that's a that's a good dig route in the NFL, and so. These, these teams don't like each other. There's no love lost. I'm not sure there's a lot of respect there at all. And it showed late in that game. When uh, the game started to get physical, Derrick Henry was held to 40 yards on 18 carries. I don't think he's ever been held to that in his life. When the Ravens really focused in on limiting Ryan Tannehill. Now, A.J. Brown had a couple of great catches. Uh, but ultimately, the Ravens were the ones intercepting the game when he passed from Marcus Peters, who, I mean... Anybody else on that team could have done that. It could have got the game stealing interception, and it wouldn't have been what happened next. And then they ran to the middle of the field, got a taunting penalty. They stumped all in the middle of the logo, scraped it up. And then Lamar in the ensuing possession scrambles for a big first down, slides down, pointing to one of the Tennessee Titans players, laughing at him. I mean, then when they take a knee, he jogs. I mean, it's 30 seconds on the clock. He runs to the locker room, brings his team in, no shaking hands. I mean, it was absolutely, I mean, it's, it, I mean, this robbery keeps on going. It started off last playoffs where Tennessee got real, real on the, on the Baltimore Ravens. Derrick Henry, I'll play Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Yeah, I said it. And 
the Titans win. The Titans were beating them any day. Just beat the Patriots, took out the Ravens, had the Chiefs down. Then, well, Patrick Mahomes happened. But then uh, this week, this season, week 11, uh, Mike Vrabel told his team to break the huddle down on the Ravens logo in midfield. John Harbaugh saw it, didn't love it. And so now you get that where they were scraping the logo on the play. I mean, this beef is going to continue because these teams are young. They're hungry. Neither one have a championship and both of them want to be physical. So I am going to enjoy the heck out of this rivalry. Uh, Lamar Jackson, congratulations to him. Overcame a few things that most people thought that was a problem. Came back from 10 points down. He had never done that in his career. He came back. He won a playoff game. Had not done that in his career. He won a road playoff game at that. Had not done that in his career. So congratulations to Lamar Jackson. And he overcame one of those bad picks. Usually he has one of those bad picks. The game goes downhill from there. It's like it's like a snowball effect with him, whether it's good or bad. So if he comes out 75 yards, touchdown, kind of starting out 10 plays, 75 yard, touchdown drive, you're in for a long day. If you can get him to throw one of those bad picks, which he threw, uh, he, I mean, he threw a punt. It was, it was horrible. He overcame it, which is the first time I think he's done that. So kudos to him. Now, shifting to the NFC with the Bucks and the Washington football team. This game was a lot better than anyone could have predicted. Damn sure better than I predicted. I thought Bucks were gonna come in here and be the easiest game of the weekend. Turned out to be the next game we're gonna talk about. But I thought it was gonna be the easiest game of the weekend. I'm like, man, Bucks about to go in there. I'm like, I'm like, Alex Smith can't move and Taylor Haney, he's not good at football. So they're gonna go in there, handle them, Brady be watching by the fourth quarter. Well, I was wrong. Uh, Brady was gunning for his life in the fourth quarter because Taylor Heineke may have earned himself a shot at an NFL contract with somebody other than the Washington football team. He played well. He had excellent mobility. He showed why he was the Walter Payton winner, which is the Heisman of the FCS. He showed why he won that award. He showed why he's in the NFL. He threw the ball accurately, definitely had some confidence, ran well and was able to scramble to several big plays for the Washington football team, including a major touchdown. Unfortunately for him, Chase Young's I want Tom, well, he came back to bite him. As um, I still believe there's an APB out for Chase Young. I haven't seen him. I mean, I don't know if anybody else has seen him. Um, I haven't seen him. He, was, he, he wasn't necessarily hitting Tom. Um, as Tom scored 31 points on them, you know, with AB and, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you know, Leonard Fournette. Oh, my God. Leonard Fournette's music started playing. We found Leonard Fournette. He was missing. Maybe he went to, maybe Chase Young went to wherever Leonard Fournette was because maybe they switched spots. I don't know. But Leonard Fournette started balling. Chase Young was MIA. The game was nuts. Absolutely spectacular. Like, Heineke went down. And immediately the air left the building. Everybody was like, oh, well, there goes the game. Then he comes back, scores. It's like, what is this game? It was insanity. But ultimately, the Bucks did win. They move on to face the winner of the next game we're going to talk about, which was Saints and Bears, which was, well, the sleeper of the weekend. It was a 10-point spread. Yeah, I mean, it played like that. The Bears had a, the Bears had a couple shots. The, the Bears had a couple of shots. They took a shot. Mitchell Trubisky threw one of the best balls of his life. It was dropped in the end zone. He flat out dropped. It was a beautiful ball. 
It went right through the receiver's arms, literally. Kind of quantified the Bears' season. They can never have two things that go together. So if the receivers are getting open, Mitchell's missing. And if Mitchell's hitting, they're dropping passes. So it was rough for them offensively. The Saints at no point were threatened in this game. And it definitely showed on the scoreboard. Saints won 21-9. I mean, it was a pretty much a snooze fest. The Saints offense played not to lose it. Never really attacked down the field. They hit their one nice breeze. They hit their one nice ball to Michael Thomas, which was a little inaccurate. Made Thomas spin the wrong direction, slowed him down, let him get caught by DB. But other than that, it was pretty much a snooze fest. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky showed that he should not be the quarterback next season. I mean, I, I hope for the Bears' sake that that was his last game in a Bears uniform. Uh, the Bears decided to bring back both the head coach and the general manager. Some say it was a questionable decision. I think that Matt Nagy has more of a foot to stand on than Ryan Pace. Ryan Pace being the GM. And the reason being is that with Ryan Pace, you did the Mitchell Trubisky draft. You also have not drafted really any great players or any players I can think of since the Mitchell Trubisky draft. So the roster that is has talent is getting older. The new talent isn't panning out. And I think that's more of a GM situation than a coach situation. As for Matt Nagy, I, I believe he's coaching with a hand tied behind his back. So I believe that he is strapped with not a great offensive roster. The only real weapon they have on offense, uh, Komet is pretty solid. But you got Allen Robinson, who was probably out of the door because he felt like you guys had plenty of time to get a deal done and it wasn't done. So I believe Allen Robinson's out of the door. Maybe ends up in Houston with Deshaun Watson. Maybe he ends up going to New England for whatever they have situation going on. San Francisco doesn't have a clear one. He may go there. So who knows where Allen Robinson ends up. Philadelphia needs receivers. He may end up there. They may overpay for him to get him to Philadelphia. So who knows where Allen Robinson ends up. But offensive weapons aren't great. Yeah, you pulled off the Khalil Mack trade. But looking back on it, you probably didn't need Khalil Mack. I mean, where was he? So I'm not sure how great of a GM Ryan Pace is. I think that Matt Nagy, like I said, is coaching with a hand behind his tie behind his back and a Trubisky albatross around his neck. So he's doing the best he can, but ultimately it is just not working out for the Bears. Hopefully they make a decision in the offseason. And for the game with all the intrigue around the quarterbacks, Rams and Seahawks, because we thought, man, we're going to get John Wolford versus Seattle. Remember, this is a game I said I would stay away from because in betting because I'm like I don't know who the hell the quarterback is so I'm like on a money line I'd probably pick the Seattle Seahawks either way but on a point spread I don't know what to do because Rams might cover if they got golf they're not gonna cover if they got Wolford so what's gonna happen there ultimately Wolford got the start he lasted about six plays and then sliding Jamal Adams sniped them ultimately put him in an ambulance and he's not playing this week as well but Jared Goff came in and well with four fingers and no thumbs it's kind of hard to throw a football so he did the best he could Cam Akers absolutely ran down the Seahawks throat having his best game and Rams history for a rookie but having his best game overall since he ran through the New England Patriots 
now, I mean, the Seattle Seahawks offense came out pretty well, but the offense dissolved into what it dissolved into the last few weeks of the season, which was run the ball, ooh, didn't work, Russell save us, which used to be the offense before, but they figured out a way to let Russ cook early in the season and stuff like that. When teams started figuring out the rock combinations and things of that nature, it dissolved into Russ save us, which ultimately he cannot. Uh, DK Metcalf frustration boiled over, which I think directly led to the wide receiver screen, which was jumped for a pick six, which when the game turned for the Rams, and after that, Seattle could not overcome it. Uh, Aaron Donald was injured, although he, according to Sean McVay, the Terminator, as McVay calls him, will play. Um, ultimately, it was a good game, a defensive battle. You had Jalen Ramsey doing he does DK Metcalf every time he takes him out the game when he's on him, and the Rams got the victory. Uh, they 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 win a date with the number one seed, Green Bay Packers and Lambeau. That ain't great. But ultimately, they got a victory, and so congratulations to the Rams. For Seattle, you got to figure it out. I mean, I know you fired Brian Schottenheimer. I mean, oh, great. You got to figure out what to do with this offense because your offensive line is mediocre at best. I mean, there's a couple of good players on it, but then the rest are league average or worse. Your running backs didn't do much. You got to figure out a way to figure out that defense because that's not great or really even good. The Seahawks have a lot of questions to answer in the offseason, and Russ is too good to have them go 3 and 13 one year to get the best offensive lineman or to get the best running back or to get the best of anything because he's going to win them 8, 9, 10 games a year because he's Russell freaking Wilson. And so, with that being said, Seattle has a lot to figure out. I get they fired the offensive coordinator. I don't think that's the answer to your problems. But they will figure out, or have to figure out, rather, what's going down in Seattle. But up next, we're going to shift to the divisional round and talk about what's going down next week. Welcome back into the show. Now, we're going to talk about the NFL Divisional Round. And again, just like last segment, we're going to go conference by conference. So first, we're going to start off with Bills and Ravens. This game is going to be another one of those knockdown dragout fights in a different variety. Of course, you know how the Ravens are coming. They're coming. They're running the ball. And like I said, they're going to get off the bus with 200 yards. It's just a matter of if you keep them under 300, 400 yards rushing. But they're going to get off the bus with 200 because their offense isn't built to throw the ball at a clip of 300 yards passing, 350 yards passing in a playoff game. In the playoffs, you run the ball more than you do anyway. But they're going to get off the bus with 200. It's just a matter of if it's 204 touchdowns or 201 touchdowns, 303 touchdowns, they're going to get off the bus with 200. So if you're the Bills, you know that. You know the game's going to be shorter. You know the opportunities are going to be less. In an average game, you get about 10 possessions. Against the Ravens, you get about eight. So two possessions really matter in the NFL. And that being said, it's going to be a very interesting game to keep an eye on. It's back in Buffalo. Bills Mafia is going to be back in the building. They are going to be incredibly hyped. They have their guy, Nick Wright, who they're against, which he, he gets ketchup and mustard on if... The Bills win this game. It's going to be huge. 
Um, Josh Allen's going to take face his biggest test of the season. A is the division around. B this this Baltimore defense. You saw what they just did to Derrick Henry and the Titans, and now you don't have Zach Moss. So instead of focusing all their energy and time and effort into stopping Derrick Henry and making Tannehill beat them. Wink Martindale is probably going to let his corners loose. So Marcus Peters is probably going to be able to jump routes. The corner on the other side, I can't think of his name right now, is probably going to be allowed to just jump routes. Because when you, they're going to have to switch to how the Steelers played a little bit, where the run game is going to come out of the pass game, where a three-yard slant is going to be a run, quote-unquote, in the offense that week. Can they run the ball to back up? Yes, they did a little bit. But Baltimore already has a good run defense. They got their run defense in free agency. They did it on purpose to stop Derrick Henry. It worked the second time. Didn't work the well the first time, but it worked the second time. And so congratulations to the Ravens, like I said. But the Bills are going to have to throw the ball probably 40 to 45 times to win this game. How many of those are double moves? How many of those are... You know, where it might be a bad technique route, quote unquote, like Alabama's famous outside release slant. How many of those are bubble actions to just get a cheap, quick pass to try to avoid those Ravens secondary members jumping passes because they like to do so. As for Lamar on the other side, he's going to have to have great command of his offense. The issue with the way the Ravens play offense is it leaves little room for error. Like if something goes wrong, that's why they struggle coming back from 10-0. Or they struggle if they're losing at halftime, the game's probably over. That's why they struggle even in the playoffs because when something goes wrong for an offense so predicated on momentum, to be perfectly honest with you, they're perfectly predicated on we are just going to come and come and come and come and come and, okay, we just did a 15-play drive that took eight minutes. You went three and out. We're going to come back at you with a 16-play drive that's going to take nine minutes. Your, your defense on the field for 17 minutes out of a possible 20 or out of a possible 19. Like they were on the bench for two minutes and they're back on the field getting run at again. And Lamar Jackson has to is predicated a lot of his game is predicated on swagger and his emotions. He's a little he's not emotionally centered just yet. And that's something that Michael Vick said he had to learn. Uh, when he spoke on the fact that he used to be a guy, he wanted to be a guy that when the players were getting hyped, he was getting hyped. You know, when they were doing the pregame huddles, he wanted to get just as loud and rowdy with them. He wanted to, you know, have the pregame party. And his coach told him, no, your job is to be the quarterback. Your job is to be the center of the team. So if we're up 40 to zero, you need, you can smile and stuff like that, but you need to be a centered person. If we're down 40 to zero and the rest of the team is piling and moping, you need to be trying to get them back up and get them back to center. Your job is to be a center in a way. Your job is to be an emotional flat line. Like this is where you want to be. And so uh, Lamar still riding the wave of his team's emotions. Now, again, he's a young player. He's younger than Joe Burrow. So he is a very young player. And like I said, so he's still going to get that emotional development, that emotional discipline. So that's why I think they struggled coming from behind. It wasn't so much as style of play. It was so much as when the team went down, he's down and now it's a snowball effect. But back to the game. I think that it's going to be a hard fought battle. I believe the point spread right now is two and a half. 
I would go with the I I think straight up the Bills are gonna win this game. I think the Bills are gonna win this game because it's gonna come down to, in my opinion, one drive with about two minutes and change left, one timeout, somebody's down four. I would have faith in Josh Allen's arm to close it. I think that it would be Lamar trying to come back down for about two minutes left and having to go 75, 80 yards with one timeout or something similar to that. And I just don't know if Lamar's arm can get them down the field because your running's out. Like, it's not out-out, but it's fairly out due to the fact that you have a one timeout and you have to go such a far distance. I see you run the ball, get negative yards, or you run the ball for one, two yards. Where now you probably wasted 15, 20 seconds between the play and getting up to the next play for a net gain of maybe three to four yards. So it really takes running the ball out of the equation for the Ravens, which would cause Lamar to be in three wide pistol sets and trying to throw his way down the field. I just don't think that he's capable of doing now that the offense has the weaponry to do that. But on the other side, you tell Josh Allen, same situation, 80 yards, 203 left, one timeout, down four. I believe that Josh Allen can get you in the end zone because A, he's a much better developed passer at this point in his career, and he has guys like Stephon Diggs and Brian Davis, his OC, who can really put him in good positions to succeed and get him down the field. Now, the winner of that game between the Bills and the Ravens, who I think will be the Bills, straight up will be the Bills, will be the Chiefs and the Browns. So the winner of the Bills and Ravens gets Chiefs and Browns. This game has the potential to get bad. I know I said that last week about the Steelers and the Browns. I drank the Kool-Aid. That was my bad. That was that was on me. That was where Justin was wrong. I drank the Kool-Aid on that one. That was that, that was bad. I fell in love with the pack with the Steelers last half of real football against the Colts and ignored the other games leading up to that game. It was like when you're dating someone and they have really horrible qualities. You said you would never accept in a partner, but yet they cook so well. They cook the meal, they cook the meal for you and you went over to their house and the food was amazing. And you was like, you know, I can deal with them keying my car and destroying my clothes whenever they're angry. I'll be all right, food's great. See how bad that sounds? That's basically what I did. Like the Steelers have showed me that they were a bad team that whole time leading up to that game. And I was like, nah, they got it together against the Colts. Colts are a good team. They are gonna beat the Browns. Yeah, mm-hmm. that worked out. But back to the Chiefs and the Browns, this one could get ugly because we haven't seen the Chiefs. Now, I get, now here's the case for too. I think Browns either win close or get blown out. Because, like I said, this game can get ugly because you haven't seen the Chiefs in two, almost three weeks. Now, what does that what does that dictate for the Browns? That means that Andy Reid's been sitting there cooking up stuff for two, three weeks. That means him, Eric enemy, Patrick Mahomes, has been sitting there cooking up Spinner Rooney throwback plays and how do we attack this team, how do we attack that team, looking at film, self-evaluating, all of that stuff. I've been doing that for two or three weeks. They knew probably with at about 7.30 p.m. local time that they were facing the Browns and probably started pulling Browns tape and getting ready to break them down. So this Chiefs team could come out 
with an absolute sledgehammer go up 24 to 3, 27 to 10, and it's over because you're not coming back on the Chiefs. Because if you get close, Pat just scores another two touchdowns on you. So that'll be incredibly interesting to watch how the Chiefs come out. The Chiefs could easily, but like I said, the Browns can win this game close. The Chiefs could easily come out down 13-3, down 17-7, down 20-10, you know, and have to come back because Miles Gear is getting home, because their exotic pressures are getting there and past not dissecting them fast enough. And so the Browns, you know, were able to run the ball with Chubb and Hunt. Okay, Kevin Stefanski, let's... Let's have a talk. You're, you're the Browns offensive coordinator, head coach. You're, 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 you are the offense. That's just the fans game. Don't try to make Baker compete with Patrick. Please. Please. I know Andy's going to do some really cool passing concepts. I know that one time or three, Tyree Hill is going to just run wide open. You're going to be like, how in the hell did that happen? Sammy Watkins is going to just run up the seam by himself one play. This is going to be infuriating. Travis Coach is going to eat the middle of your defense alive. And what you cannot do is put this game in a shootout situation with Baker. Yes, the Chiefs may hit you over the head. Five plays, 75 yards, touchdown, open and drive. Do not have Baker line up on first, second, and third down throwing the ball, trying to answer back. Just hand the ball off to Kareem Hunt. We already said this game's personal. Hand the ball off to Nick Chubb. Do your play action passes. But do not try to make Baker compete with Patrick in a throwing contest. He's going to lose. Yes, Baker won in college. Baker had several NFL players. Patrick Mahomes had himself. And it turns out his coach was the only thing going to the NFL. Please. Do not have Baker try to compete with Patrick. Because they ain't the same Patrick that was throwing all them yards and numbers at Texas Tech. He's got a squad with him, and he's a lot more refined. Do your best to avoid that at all costs. Coach Stefanski of the Browns. In terms of a winner, Chiefs. I I don't see the Browns keeping this game close. The final score may be closer than the game plays. I can see the final score easily being 38-27, something like that, 38-24. And really, it played like 38-3. It's just the Browns kept scoring like on a fluke play or Pat throws a pick six, something like that. But I don't expect this game to be close at all. I, like I said, I expect it to be something like 38-24 that won't really play like a 14-point game. But I expect the Chiefs to really have it out on that Brown secondary. The secondary is not great by any means. And unless Miles Garrett gets home, you can't risk sending a fifth or sixth person at Mahomes because he'll find it. He'll pick you apart. And then that leaves Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hartman, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Ojeleya may or may not play, Le'Veon Bell. In one-on-one coverage, which you're going to lose in that situation every time. And so I would expect the Chiefs to win this game fairly comfortably in advance to play the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead. Shifting to the NFC, we have the other potential blowout game, which is the Packers and the Rams. Fully healthy, the Rams would have a good shot here. Kind of. But injured with 
at Terminator, as Sean McVay calls him, down. He, he's going to play. Reportedly, he's having a little pain, but he says he has no pain. But he's not practicing all week. Precautionary measures. But Aaron Donald is a little dinged up. Obviously, we know Jared Goff's situation. He's got one thumb. And so, it's a situation where it's going to be cold. It's going to be Lambeau. Maybe not be a blizzard. You never know it's Lambeau. And so, with that being said, I would take, again, one of the situations where if the Packers win, it's going to be by 10-plus, 12-plus. If the Rams win, it's going to be by 3, 4. It's going to be a very close game if the Rams pull this off. And it'll be because of the defense. It'll be because Jalen Ramsey took out Devontae Adams. Aaron Donald got home a couple times on key important downs or freed somebody else up to get home. It's going to be because Cam Akers has back-to-back good playoff games running the football, which we know the Packers' run defense is suspect, to say the least. They did well against the Bears. They did pretty decent against Derrick Henry. But we know we've seen them get thrown around the field, especially by a gap run scheme. So it'll be very interesting to – or zone run scheme, rather. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Packers handle the Rams' rushing attack. But I would have the Packers winning that game, led by the Aarons, Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers. And the Packers winning by, again, 10, 12 plus. Something along the lines of uh, 31-20 or something like that. I would go there for the Green Bay Packers. It's in Lambeau. It's a playoff game. Again, the Packers have had a couple weeks off to rest and recuperate. Aaron Rodgers said he just needs playoff games at home and he'll get it done. I believe him this week. And they will advance to host the NFC Championship game versus the winner of the Bucks and Saints, the Geriatric Bowl, the History Channel Live Event, the AARP Classic, the Old Man Off. This game features quarterbacks with a combined age of 85, because happy birthday to Drew Brees turning 42. As we've been hearing all season, Tom Brady's 43. And so the AARP Classic will be occurring in New Orleans to close out the divisional round, which will be, like I said, Bucks and Saints for the third time this season. The Saints won the first two fairly convincingly. I give the Bucks a mulligan on the first one because that was their first time playing an actual football game together as a unit. It was in New Orleans. It wasn't the usual New Orleans crowd due to COVID. However, I mean, I don't think it was any crowd that first week. But it was on the road. It was against an experienced team who returned a lot of veterans. And it was your first time playing together. And to be honest, the Saints took advantage of it. I mean, Brady had a good opening drive and finished it with a QB sneak for a touchdown. But as we know, the rest of the game was pretty much all Saints. Uh, Led to Bruce Arians' first public criticism of Tom Brady, um, which he ended up backtracking after he watched the film. And then the, the second one in Tampa, which, my God, I mean, it was the first game, I believe, of Antonio Brown's arrival. And the Saints, um, well, well, annihilated the Bucks. And, I mean, to keep it clean, they annihilated the Bucks. It was 38-3. to Remember after that Browns game was over about 15 minutes? Yeah, that Saint, at Tampa Saints game, two in, in Tampa was over about 20. That game was a wrap. Done for and it even ended on an ugly Brady pick. It just, it wasn't great. But now they have incorporated Antonio Brown. They've incorporated Leonard Fournette, who's arrived out of nowhere. They've incorporated Rojo when he's healthy. Mike Evans is healthier. Chris Godwin's been running the past few weeks. He's good to go. Gronk, Cameron Brake, 
that defense can be had. Man, that defense can be had. That secondary, because Taylor Haneke was having fun with it in the, in the Washington game when they played them. Uh, but on the other side, you got Drew Brees, possibly his last home playoff game. I mean, actually, unless the Packers lose, this is Drew Brees' last home playoff game because you know, the expectations is he's expected to retire. So in a game that's, I say a 95% chance, Drew Brees' last home playoff game, add in the fact that this is his last time against Tom Brady regardless. This, you know, is for a lot of the marbles. I mean, winning a second Super Bowl for Drew Brees elevates him into a level of stratosphere that many did not think was possible for his career because two Super Bowls with all the records that he has will elevate him so high on the all-time quarterback rankings. If you look at guys with two Super Bowls, you look at guys with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning has two. Steve Young, uh, he's in that era. I mean, I think he's better than Steve Young all time, but you look at guys like Aaron Rodgers only has one. Uh, Big Ben has two. Um, so just look at that. That would be huge for Drew Brees' legacy if he would win this game. And now they're fully healthy for the first time pretty much all season. You've got Michael Thomas back. Alvin Kamara, is Alvin Kamara, one of the top three or four running backs in football. You've got Drew Brees playing not great but good enough. The offensive line is pretty much intact. Trey Henderson to be back this week. This game will be an absolute showdown. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be a beautiful way to close out the divisional round. And the Bucks going to win it. The Bucs are going to win it by about a field goal. Yeah, the Bucs are going to win this game. Honestly, they may win by more than a field goal. But if I had to put my money on it, I would say the Bucs are going to win by about a field goal. Uh, it doesn't matter in terms of Vegas because they're the underdog. So as long as they win the game, they'll cover. But I, I think the Bucs are going to win this game by about a field goal. Um, maybe up to a touchdown. I can see it being, I see it being something like 27-24. Um, or 31-28 uh, because of Will Lutz missing field goals. Maybe that comes down to bite them, where it's 31-28 uh, bucks or 34-31 bucks, something like that. I expect it to be really close, though. Uh, I do not expect the blowout either way. Um, and although the Saints beat them the first two times of the season, playoff braid is a little differently. We all know that. Uh, playoff football is a little different. We all know that. And so we'll definitely be watching that game very closely. But up next, we're going to shift to our NFL segment, Jack's Pack. Hello, everybody, and welcome back in to Jack's Pack or to the show, really. But we're going to jump right into Jack's Pack. Uh, pretty much describes Jack's pack. Um, I don't know what that sound was. Uh, it was me, but I, um, hmm. well, uh, that was about as successful as Jack's pack was last week. We went 0-5. The reason why I don't count the sixth is because I said I wouldn't have bet the sixth game due to the fact of the whole which quarterback's gonna play thing, I was like, I would have stayed completely away from it. Uh, wouldn't have got anywhere near it, wouldn't have sniffed it because you don't know who the heck is playing quarterback for the Rams or how successful they'll be. So I would have stayed away from that game entirely. But all the games I did pick, 0 5. So I probably should have picked that game. Although I probably would have picked the Seahawks. So, okay, it wouldn't have been better. 
um, worst week of the season. Playoffs threw me for a loop. Football was wacky. Things were weird. I don't know. I, I don't know. I bought into a couple of narratives I probably shouldn't have with the Ravens and the Browns. And it just, it wasn't it wasn't great. Taylor Heineke played his butt off. Congratulations to him. Um, he looked better than any New England quarterback who played this season. Um, he looked better than any 49ers quarterback they played this season too. Uh, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't great. Yes, uh, definite where Justin was wrong. Yeah, Mm-mm. yeah, that wasn't great. But hey, we're going to move forward. We are going to come to a new week. With a new week, there's new opportunities. Because there's always more football. We're going to jump right into it with Bills hosting the Ravens. Ravens plus two and a half. Take the Bills. If it was three, I'd probably have to take the Ravens. But I think, I think the Bills are probably going to win this game by about a field goal. And so I would take the Bills in that game over the Ravens. Next, we have to close out Saturday night. We have Rams at Packers. Packers minus six and a half. Take the Packers. Again, it's another one of those hook spreads, those catch spreads where that half will matter. If it was a half more, if it was seven, I'd probably take the Rams. If it was a half less, it's definitely the Packers. And so with the Packers getting six and a half, you kind of teeter on it. But because this could easily be one of those 30-24 games. You know, we've seen those a lot in the playoffs. You know, a lot of field goals by one team or a mixed extra point by somebody. You never know these days. But with six and a half, I'm going to lean the Packers there. Uh, fully healthy Aaron Donald, fully healthy Jared Goff. I probably go Rams, but not the case. I'm gonna go Packers there. The Tundra will prevail. The Tundra is plus four in my opinion, so uh, the Packers will prevail there. To start off Sunday, Browns at Chiefs. Chiefs minus ten. Take the Browns. Yes, I said that with a lot of hesitation. This is my least favorite bet of the week. Because I don't know what Cleveland team's gonna show up. Look, that was the biggest win in the history of the modern franchise when they won that game against the Steelers, especially the way they did. I don't know if they get emotional and they come out flat against Chiefs. We don't know if the mad scientist Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy has been cooking up the best potion they can cook up to destroy opponents' defenses. We don't know. We hadn't seen them. I, for the life of me, have no idea what this game's going to look like. No clue. Who does? But I do know that I have a great run game in the Browns, that the Chiefs are not the best run defense, and that you saw the better team, but that run defense should keep it close. And so, and that run game, rather, will keep it close. And so, I say Browns will cover the 10. And lastly, to close it out, the division around, I think it'll be the best game of the weekend. Bucks and Saints, due to all the history and every single throw, it could be, man, it could be Drew Brees' last completion to this person or the last time Brady, you know, and Brees go at each other. And all the history that that entails, I'm going to take the Bucks to cover because the Bucks are going to win the game flat out. And because the Bucks are the underdog, they automatically cover the spread. And so I will take the Bucks there. Just to recap, 
uh, pick against the spread. I would do Bills over Ravens, Packers over Rams, Browns over Chiefs, Bucks over Saints against the spread. However, I would have Bucks winning the game straight up, Bills winning the game straight up, Chiefs winning the game straight up, and Packers winning the game straight up. Now, up next, we will be shifting to the NBA and talk about what's going down in the association, which has been on fire the last few days. Ah, welcome back in. Man, I love that music in between segments. Oh, that music's great. Anyway, the NBA delivered their first blockbuster. James Harden, all 300 pounds of them, just kidding, mostly, has been moved and traded to the Brooklyn Nets in a four-team deal involving, obviously, the Houston Rockets and the Nets, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Indiana Pacers. For, let's start with the teams that got the ancillary pieces. So for the Cleveland Cavaliers, they ended up with Jared Allen from the Nets and Torian Prince. For the Indiana Pacers, they ended up with Karis LeVert, mostly. That was that big piece. For the Rockets, they ended up with four first-round picks unprotected, one from Cleveland via Milwaukee, four rights to pick swaps, and they ended up with Ultimately, Victor Oladipo, Karooks, and another player whose name is escaping me right now. And in exchange, the Brooklyn Nets got James Harden. The Brooklyn Nets traded everything they could legally trade for James Harden. Why didn't they trade Spencer Dinwiddie? He's hurt. If he wasn't, he would have been in Houston. Nobody wants DeAndre Jordan, and they didn't trade Joe Harris because I believe they legally couldn't due to the recently signed restriction. So because he's recently resigned a deal, he's got to wait X amount of days for these other would be traded, stuff like that. Um, so for NBA rule reasons, they traded everything they could trade. They traded the rights away to their draft pick in the first round from here to 2027. 20, and ultimately, they traded their right. They don't have the rights to any draft pick they made from 2014 or will make to 2027. So they're either, I see the Jared Allen. That, I'm sorry, 2017 and 2027. No, 2014 and 2027. I had it right. That's either, you know, Jared Allen, that's past picks they've traded or gotten rid of. That is future picks. They all belong in Houston. So, ultimately, Houston was in a money problem. Uh, that's why they didn't keep a Karis LeVert. Because they got it under the cap by getting Oladipo on expiring contract. They got a couple other people on expiring contracts, so they'll be able to dip under the salary cap, have a bunch of draft picks, and if they go over the cap again, it'll be for free agents in the market that'll compete for a championship because that's all Team of Fertitta, Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets owner, is interested in either making money or winning championships. He'll sacrifice a little money for a ring, but if he's, not, he's got no shot at a championship, he's not about to pay luxury taxes to lose. So that is the situation in Houston. But to Brooklyn, to, I mean, that's the angle anybody cares about. Do the Brooklyn Nets, they have the most talent on paper in the NBA. Unquestionable. You have the second best player in the world, Kevin Durant. You have a top, what, Harden, what, top seven in the world, James Harden, and a top 15 in Kyrie Irving. Nobody has that in the NBA. I mean, it's like when LeBron, Wade, and Bosh showed up. They had one, probably four, and 12, 13, and nobody could match that in the NBA. Or when KD went to the Warriors, they had KD was two, Steph was probably three or four, and then Clay was in the top 20. 
now you're looking at two, maybe six or seven, and 12, 13 in terms of rankings in the NBA. And so this is huge for the Brooklyn Nets, for the city of New York. Now just think about it. This could have been on the Knicks very easily, just to hurt the Knicks a little bit. This could have been on the Knicks. Kevin Durant wanted to go to the Knicks because the allure and the power of Madison Square Garden and putting on that Knicks uniform and bringing the Knicks back to contention would have done wonders for his brand personally because you would have had the entire New York faithful behind you playing on the Knicks. Kyrie Irving said, no, let's go to the Nets, which KD was like, cool. This could have been on the Knicks. Houston probably wishes this has been on the Knicks because you could have got guys like Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett, and those picks, which would have been huge for the Rockets. But ultimately, it's on the Nets. But it's still big for New York basketball. It's still big for the city in general. And, well, James, you got what you wanted. Again, you got Mr. Harden what you wanted again. You wanted Dwight Howard, you got him. You wanted Dwight Howard gone, he was gone. You wanted Chris Paul, you got him. You wanted Chris Paul gone, he was gone. You wanted Russell Westbrook, your buddy, you got him. Also, when Russell Westbrook said, forget this, we can't win like this, I'm gone. You wanted a different coach, you know, like Kevin McHale, he was gone. You wanted a different GM, you got Daryl Morey. Hell, you even got a second owner. You wanted the, the, the plane to leave him this time, you got it. You wanted the practice guys to be this, cool. You wanted the ability to go to strip club after bombing a playoff game and really not get talked about in Houston media, cool. You wanted to go to Brooklyn, you got it. And they didn't even gut the team. They didn't take Timothy Loa Cabarro. They didn't take, you know, Joe Harris, probably I mean, because legally they couldn't, but they didn't take every single person on the bench and leave you with nothing and distribute them around the league because Houston can take all the players. They didn't do that, James. They sent you to Brooklyn with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You got what you wanted. Win. You got no excuses. None. You eat. You got out of the situation created by you to land in a situation of your basic creation. You've got no choice but to You better win. Oh, you better win. You better win. I don't don't care if you get to the finals don't i really don't i personally don't think you will make it to the finals i think you're going to lose earlier in the second round because hell we don't know if Kyrie Irving even going to play basketball again so due to that fact you better win james harden that's all i'm saying kevin durant you can win you don't have to win you you, you you're gonna do your job i know what you're about kevin durant i know what you represent Kyrie Irving, if if he's on the court we know what he represents James Harden, you better win. This is your creation now. This is your situation. You better win. That's all I'm going to say. Because if you don't win, Shaq's already coming for you. Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman, those guys in the first take are already coming for you. Ex-players are already saying, hell, you got everything you wanted in Houston. You didn't work. Not it. You didn't work. And now you're going to sit there and go, I need to go to Brooklyn. You got Brooklyn. Congrats. I hope you enjoy yourself. I hope the strip club revenue goes up through the roof at least 20%. And sorry for the strippers in Houston. Rough day for you. But this, you better win. You better win. 
Now, for the Houston Rockets' perspective, in terms of players, they turned out a better deal because they could have gotten Ben Simmons. Uh, ben Simmons, they wanted Tyrese Maxey and a boatload of picks. I believe that Houston was willing to part, who was run by Daryl Moore, by the way. I believe uh, Philly was willing to part, rather, with Ben Simmons, maybe Matisse Thybul, and some picks. Uh, but they weren't willing to go like Ben Simmons, Matisse Thybul, Tyrese Maxey, and picks. That was a lot of capital for the Sixers to give up for Harden. And they ultimately were outgunned by Brooklyn anyway, because Brooklyn offered, we ended up trading three or four players and the rights to eight picks. So you probably couldn't do better than that anyway if you're Philly, but it was worth a shot. So congratulations to Philly for not doing anything dumb and offering up your franchise basically for James Harden to pay him with Joel Embiid and then nothing. So good job, Philly there. Oh, they had Tobias Harris and Seth Curry. So it wouldn't have been nothing, but still. Good job, Philly there, for standing your ground and not getting swindled. Um, but that Brooklyn Nets team, I mean, they, the new owner, Joseph Sy, I believe is his name, was willing to make the same bet Mikhail Prokhorov made. He just had a hell of a lot better odds. If you remember, Mikhail Prokhorov traded basically Brooklyn's future for about a half a decade for KG and Paul Pierce to pair Darren Williams to make a Brooklyn big three to challenge LeBron, basically. They won one playoff series. Ultimately, both end up retiring or leaving the team. It was rough, and Mikhail Prokhorov sold the team not so long after that. Um, not really sure what that was about. Not really sure if the NBA forced him out. Not really sure what happened with that situation, but um, he sold the team like right after that. And then Joseph Side now has a team. He, hell, he made the same bet that he was willing to bet that if he puts enough star power on a team, that they will win a championship for the Brooklyn Nets. The only part about this that feels a little wrong on Brooklyn side is that the Barclays, due to COVID, isn't full. Because then you both, can you imagine the stars that'll descend on Brooklyn? On the Barclays Center, which is already, to be honest, a better arena than Madison Square Garden because the garden is old. It's one of the last, like Mac Rappaport has said before, one of the last places where history is still intact, where it is as it was when the, I mean, the Knicks have always played in that building. They just keep renovating it because it's Madison freaking Square Garden. So the Barclays already is the better, more, technic- more technologically advanced arena. Filled to the brim with stars on top of stars, on top of fans going nuts. Because you have KD, Kyrie, and Kevin freaking Durant on the same team. So, this is going to be huge. I don't think it works. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I'll probably have two or three net stories a week. I mean, just little tidbits. It'll be interesting. Oh, I, I can't deny that. It'll be definitely interesting. But we will definitely see how it all plays out. Now, taking a peek at the standings right now in the east it goes in order right this second celtics sixers bucks pacers magic nets hornets hawks and the knicks are holding down the ninth seed and out west it moved a lot just last night i mean pretty much the entire everything from three through nine moved it is now lakers clippers suns jazz mavs blazers nuggets spurs warriors uh, i just want to congratulate chris das on getting back on the court he looks like he's doing well 
moving around. Doesn't look like he's hobbling too much at all. He honestly no real slowing of movement. Trying to get his basketball legs back, obviously. But he looks good. My preseason MVP lock of bet. Luka Doncic is heating up. Staying on that train. Good job, Luka. Making me look good. Um, LaMelo Ball. Youngest rookie, youngest player ever in NBA history to have a triple-double. Congratulations to him. The Lakers are the Lakers. I mean, pretty much. I mean, you got LeBron hitting, turn around, shooting the threes, turn around, accepting bets and swishing them as he's going down the court. I just, I mean, hey, we've reached that point in the NBA where now you're starting to see the stars be the stars. You've got Jokic with five triple-doubles already. Steph Curry's heating up just a little bit. Dame and CJ are going ballistic up in Portland. Joel Embiid is doing what he does. Ben Simmons had a triple-double last night. You're starting to see the stars be the stars. The guys who really are now they're getting the legs back under. Some guys hadn't played in six months. The Lakers, you know, played 72 days before they played again. You've got guys that starting to get their starting to get their flow and their rhythm back. Definitely starting to see the NBA look like the NBA. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are absolute monsters. Danny Ainge is looking more and more like a genius. A with the draft picks and B not willing to move them for a quick fix. He was not willing to move Jalen Brown for Kawhi. He was not willing to move Jalen Brown for Anthony Davis because he was in the business of ensuring that they got those two, Brown and Tatum, to their second and third contracts with the Boston Celtics. And now in their second contracts for both of them, they are absolutely popping at this moment in time. But that is all we have for our NBA segment. And now we're going to shift to the college football championship and touch on Alabama's victory over Ohio State. All righty, welcome back in. And now we're going to discuss the college football playoff national championship game between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Congratulations to Alabama on a dominant victory. I mean, the score was a blowout, and that didn't even make it feel right. I mean, the score was, what, 52 to 24, and it felt like 52 to 10, 52 to 3. I mean, it was brutal. Alabama could have scored possibly 70, but Devonta Smith was injured on basically the first play of the second half, so he only finished with 12 catches, 215 yards, and three touchdowns. I know, terrible game for him. Uh, <laughs> one of the few times we see Heisman winners go ballistic in their final game. Uh, I mean, a lot of times that was like red flag warning. Like the guy who won the Heisman, usually they do all the talk shows, they do all the interviews, they have all the dinners, all the luncheons, and they come on their bowl game and lay an egg. I mean, RG3 laid an egg in his Heisman uh, season, I believe. He played pretty, he played decent, but it was turnover riddled. Uh, Johnny Manziel didn't have a great game. Usually none of the quarterbacks have a great game. I mean, Joe Burrow had the first great game for a Heisman winner in recent memory with his championship performance last season. And Devonta Smith had a great, well, half, but he had a great game with for Alabama. Alabama out was, Ohio State was outmatched. Especially with Justin Fields not being at 100%, he couldn't really escape the rush like he normally would have been able to. But with Trey Sermon going down, first play of the game with a broken collarbone, or so it looked like a broken collarbone, 
You got Mac Jones being very accurate. Steve Sarkeesian calling his last game before he heads off to Texas to be their head coach. Absolutely called a dime of a game. I mean, arguably one of his best called games of his Bama tenure. It was perfect. They were guys were set up wide open all over the field. Ohio State was not prepared for that level of talent that Alabama had. And Ohio State has their own five stars and four stars and best players in this state, best player in that state. But schematically, they just weren't prepared. I mean, Sark had Devonta Smith in the slot. He had him running jet motions. He had him running all the way across, jogging and sprint back halfway when you get through. He had him creating space at all times and getting the ball in his hands and letting Devonta Smith be a great athlete, which is something that he definitely is. From the Alabama's perspective, from Nick Saban's perspective, that is his sixth national title in 12 years. He's been in Alabama for 14 years or 13 years, so he's got six titles in 13, 14 seasons. Seven national championships overall, passing the late great Bear Bryant for the most by a college football coach. And I think that Nick was the GOAT already because he had six, but he had all six of them on the field. Uh, you see Bear Bryant was coaching in an era of the pole championships where, you know, the AP would have a championship. The USA would have a ranking. USA would have a ranking. And all these different polls were out. And I call them pole championships because Alabama claims, the school of Alabama rather, claims 18 championships. And a lot of them, I mean, besides the, the six Saban has, are pole championships. They won one on the field. Um, it, it was a rare occasion where a bowl game would have the number one and number two teams in it or number one and number three or something like that. But usually it was you play like the Rose Bowl was the Big Ten, the Pac-12 champion. It didn't matter that the Big Ten champion was eight and four and the Pac-12 champion was undefeated USC. They played in the Rose Bowl because that's where the Big Ten champion and the Pac-12 champion went. And so... Having won all those championships on the field. Obviously, he won the one with LSU in 2003. Then he's won the six at Alabama since he's been back in college football. It makes Nick Saban the GOAT, undisputed GOAT. And I think this one hit a little harder than normal. Normally, when you see a Nick Saban championship, it's the 24-hour rule. Celebrate for 24 hours and get back into it. I mean, barely smiling, barely showing any emotion. You can tell he's happy, but he's barely smiling, barely showing any emotion, barely showing anything. Complete opposite of what most people would do after winning a championship or accomplishing what he's accomplished. And this time, he was smiling way more. You saw the smiles. I know the social media clips only going to show him with the barely lips barely moving smile he was on the podium crying you see tears of joy or sadness or it was tears in his eyes it was way more emotional this time for him and so it got me thinking and i have no sourcing on this i have no proof i have no anything i mean nothing i don't have anything in terms of what they or anything what is this i'm about to say I think that may have been Nick Saban's swan song. I can't prove it. And there's been no reporting. And if we and if we thought he was gonna pass it off to somebody, it would have come out about, oh, Nick Saban tiring, whatever. That felt like a swan song. It's probably not. But that image of Nick Saban crying on the podium will never leave my brain. I it felt swan song-ish, where it was like, man, look what everything I've done. And he finally reflected. Because to be honest, there's nothing left for him there. There isn't. There isn't anything for him. 
He's got the most championships. He's got his statue. He's got lifetime access to anything he wants in Alabama. He's got everything he could want. He's been to the NFL. He's done the NFL assistant coach, head coach, college coach, champion, two different locations, most titles ever, most players drafted, all this stuff. He's got all of that. There's nothing left for him in college football. Now, if he wants to go take the Chargers job and see if he can win a couple over Andy Reid and win a division or two in the NFL, by all means. But in terms of the college landscape, there's nothing for him left. And so I'm very interested to see how many years he hangs on. Um, I don't see it being past a couple. Uh, reportedly, there was a wink-wink handshake agreement that Steve Sarkeesian will become with the coach in waiting at Bama. Ultimately, Sark t- took the Texas job because like Sark said, you don't turn down Texas. When Texas calls, you say yes. And so... Uh, now with nobody to pass it off to. Think about it. Kiffin is at Ole Miss. Uh, Brian Dables never come back to college football, more than likely. Now Sark, who was a college football coach, now he's at Texas. So who does he pass it off to? He brought Bill O'Brien in. Who he could pass it off to? Bill O'Brien was a head coach at Penn State, very successful before James Franklin took over for him. And he brought uh, Penn State out of the dark ages, uh, right after the Joe Paterno scandal. He brought him in to Penn State, and he was able to turn that program around before he passed off to James Franklin. He did not do a great. He was a good coach for the Texans, horrible GM. He did not do great there for the Texans. However, as an offensive mind and as a leader of young men in college football, Bill O'Brien should not be questioned. I have my personal beef with him ever GMing a football team ever again. But in terms of his ability to be a college coach, that should not be questioned. And so he should do great at Alabama. Maybe Nick Saban sees Bill O'Brien for one or two years and goes, okay, I can pass this off to him. And then walk into the sunset. Retires, becomes, you know, a consultant or uh, administrative person or maybe just retires and just has a permanent press box at the stadium and comes back to watch. I don't know. But that felt like swan songy from Nick Saban there. Uh, so definitely something to keep an eye on. Maybe not this season. Has Sark still been around? Maybe this season. I would have gave more life to it. But with Sark leaving and no one to directly pass it on to, similar to Urban Meyer or Ryan Day, Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley, Bill O'Brien to James Franklin. We know Franklin came from an outside source. Bill O'Brien was reportedly at least had a hand in who got hired after he did for Penn State. So, but a, but a direct comparison would be Link, Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley and Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. Something similar could have happened between Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian, but Sark, like I said, is going to Texas. So congratulations to him. But up next, we're going to shift to our best for last, which is going to be the NFL coaching carousel and what is happening as a couple of teams have already stopped the spinning. All righty, guys, and welcome back in. And now we're going to talk about the NFL coaching carousel and our best for last. 
Now, there's already been a couple of stops made. For instance, the New York Jets have hired defensive coordinator Robert Sala. Now, he was from the 49ers. He's the ball guy with a lot of energy on the sideline. He is heading to the New York Jets to change that franchise. He's known as a culture guy and a leader guy, which is something that the Jets definitely need, especially with the owner that is now the ambassador to the UK, I believe. He's overseas most of the time. So they really run by the football operations team and their head coach. And so the last coach they hired, Adam Gase, was there specifically for Sam Darnold. He basically let uh, Greg Williams coach or head coach the defense. Like He was only there and cared about offense. Then they said they were going to bring a coach in for the entire team this time, which is what Robert Sala was able to sell to several teams. That he was culture guy, he was a leader, and that he was going to be an overseer and hire two great coordinators. Being a defensive head coach, you know for a fact he's going to have his hand all up in the defense. You know Dan Quinn did it, Pete Carroll's doing it, Bill Belichick still basically head coaches the defense Andy Reid basically head coaches the offense at Kansas City so with those guys they're going to continue to do that so I assume Salah's going to have either defensive play calling duties or he's going to be very very involved in the defensive game plan because he's a defensive coach I mean look at what he did with San Francisco's beat up defense last year especially down the stretch and absolutely annihilating and suffocating teams down the stretch so great hire for the New York Jets. The Atlanta Falcons have tabbed Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith as their next head coach. Now the deal, they've offered it to him rather. He has not accepted just yet. I believe he is looking for other or looking at all of his options in terms of money, in terms of opportunity. What if he gets that Chargers job? Then he's got Justin Herbert. What if he ends up getting offered the Texans job with Deshaun Watson? The hardest thing to do in this league is to get a quarterback. Now, in Atlanta, he will have Matt Ryan. He will have Julio Jones. He will have Ty Gurley. He will have Calvin Ridley. He'll have a defense with some talent in it with Alua Khan and some others in that secondary. They got some pretty good talent in the secondary and up front. Talented team. Just had a culture problem. Not sure how Arthur Smith can do for culture. But, hey, the Atlanta Falcons offered it to him, so clearly they believe in the culture that he can provide because Tennessee's had a pretty good culture, just had a pass rush issue, but a pretty good culture nonetheless. And the big hire, the huge hire was Duval Jacksonville landing Urban Meyer, bringing him out of what would this be his third retirement? Urban Meyer to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Humongous news. The Jaguars, just like I said, with the Jets, needed a culture change and a cleanup and a fix. They hired Urban Meyer for they even hired the GM. So Urban Meyer is going to have probably his hand-picked GM, just like John Gruden hand-picked Mike Mayock to be his GM in, in Vegas. Urban Meyer probably gets to hand-pick his GM for probably handpick his football operations department for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, with that, change is already occurring. Uh, a lot of people think he's going to pick Charlie Strong to be his defensive coordinator. And then you're going to have he Urban Meyer apparently was promised by Shad Khan, the owner, that they would upgrade facilities. You know what Urban Meyer's about. He went to Utah. We were a two, three win team. Boom. 11, 10 win, 10, 11 wins immediately. Alex Smith, number one overall pick. He goes to Florida. They were a down program with some talent. Boom. He gets championships there. Tim Tebow, Chris Leakes, Percy Harvin, 
Aaron Hernandez, and the rest of that crew at Florida. He goes to Ohio State. They were down program under Luke Fickle. Boom, they didn't lose a conference game for two years. You've got the Dwayne Haskins, the Justin Fields, and people like that coming out of Ohio State. Ezekiel Elliott under Urban Meyer. Now he goes to Jacksonville. They've got the number one overall pick, so they got Trevor Lawrence. They've got $76 million in cap space. Most of anybody in the NFL. And they have a boatload of picks. So let's say they fall in love with somebody in the middle of the first. They might can package picks to get up to the middle of the first to grab somebody else. It's going to be huge. They got to have a pick in a later in the first round. They may can come up again and get another pick because they did in the unique Ngakwe trade with Minnesota. They got a first round pick, I believe. It's in the 20s and they can come up and grab somebody in the mid round, mid of the round if they fall in love with somebody there. Urban Meyer is going to be a culture changer. In the words of Drake, I think I think he's here for a good time, but not a long time. We know that's the pattern of Urban Meyer. He's at a program three to five years, and then he's out. Uh, Florida and Ohio State, it was health concerns. He's older now. He's 56, 57. Not nearly as old as Pete Carroll, who's 68, or Bill Belichick, who's 69, or they're one of the two, but both near 70. And not nearly as old as our president-elect, who's 78. So... <laughs> Uh, Urban Meyer has plenty of time there in terms of age and faculties and hell Warren Buffett's 90 so uh, health age is not a concern for him it's health you know, he looks young he looks like he's young and rejuvenated looks like he's got a bunch of energy he's excited for the opportunity and so we'll see how that pans out in Jacksonville I know the fan base is excited I know the owner is excited I Urban Meyer himself said he's excited so we will definitely be looking forward to that but that is all we have in today's show it was a long one i know it was a lengthy one but i i'm glad you guys stuck around and that you guys listened all the way through remember you can find the show on apple Podcasts, itunes and spotify and do not forget please follow the twitter page at jtime sports because it will keep you in the know before your friends know and you can tell them all the breaking news and all the different little stories and tidbits before they find out and you can look like a genius so this is a way for you to stay engaged with us the show and that is the best way to contact me through dms things of that nature but other than that that is all we have for today's show again thank you guys for the support uh helping us be one of the fastest growing shows sports podcasts in america now i hope you guys have a great rest of your day and this is your host justin jackson signing out